Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. And I'm Albert. And coming up, we're going to be speaking to Hannah Mills, who is a computing teacher in a special needs school. And there's uh, quite a lot of challenges going on there, so do stick around to hear that. But first, let's do the news. And the first bit of news is that uh, this is going to be the last Pi podcast. Yes, unfortunately, that is the bad news that we have to lead with. The, um, the thing is, we have loved doing this over the last year, and it's been brilliant. We've spoken to so many interesting people. We've been up to Pi Towers and you know, got a preview of the, the Raspberry Pi 3 and all that. But to produce a podcast like this, it's a lot of effort, isn't it? And that takes a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, from my standpoint, I mean, there's the shows that I just haven't been able to make. We record, you'd think one evening of every two weeks would be very easy, but sometimes there's other things going on. And it's just getting to the point now where I, I know for me anyway, um, I can't guarantee being available on the night of the recording, but also even just keeping up with the things that are happening in the community to be able to put together the detail in the news, to, to be honest, to make it useful. Um, is becoming more of a challenge. So um, the decision is made. Let's leave it as it is. Leave it where it's good. Um, open the door for somebody else, just like we did, from um, Russell Barnes to take on the mantle of a, a new Pi podcast. Yeah, but I will be continuing to do um, another show that I've been doing for actually longer than this one called Linux Luddites, where we talk about Linux and free software and open source and all that kind of stuff. That's every two weeks, um, linuxloadouts.com. I'll uh, stick a link to that in the show notes. And you're going to continue to do your blogging, aren't you, Albert? Yeah, yeah. I'm still still on the blog, still on Google+, still on Twitter. Hopefully I'll have uh, I'll be able to steal some more time for actually doing projects and doing more work with the actual Raspberry Pi, and I'll be posting all of those details. So still here, just not on uh, a podcast. Yeah, and Isaac, who isn't here again this time, I mean, you know, that just proves it, doesn't it, that there's, there's been a lot going on in everyone's lives. Um, he writes for Phosphorce.com, so uh, have a look for his articles there. And he also is a host on Mintcast, which is, um, a, again, a Linux podcast for, um, well, it's, it's based around Linux Mint, but it, it is for all users of Linux. So uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, do check that out. Again, links in the show notes. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the show, contributing to the show, and especially a huge thank you to all of our guests. Um, before starting this uh, podcast, I'd never done anything like this before. I kind of half expected that there'd be a lot of reluctance from people to want to be interviewed on a podcast who hadn't been interviewed before, but everybody just said yes. It was a pleasure to get to talk to some of the people that are in the Raspberry Pi community and actually see that it is a real community. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there basically wouldn't have been much of a show without the guests. So, yeah, thank you to everyone who's, who's come on. And also, thanks to everyone who spread the word about the show. You know, there's a few people who have been really good to us and, and really helped spread the word. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for that. Yeah, thank you, everybody. So, should we do some proper news then um, yeah. for the final Let's go time? for the proper news. Yeah. And the first one, the, the PyBorg Formula Pi Kickstarter. This is um, This is really cool. So it's it's basically self-driving robots, well, little cars that um, use the Raspberry Pi. And you can back this Kickstarter and submit your code to them, and they will put it into these, um, these racing um, bots, I suppose, and compete with everyone around this specially constructed track. And you'll have these self-driving robots, and we'll see who wins. Yeah, it looks like the robots that they're using are uh, vision-controlled. 
So it's not ultrasonic, it's not anything like that, it's actually vision. So they're racing them and they're doing a, a series of races on each each time. But uh, the way it works is you your code ends up on one of the Pyborg bots. So you don't need to have your own robot to do this. You can just modify and customize your code. And I, my understanding is they're going to release, how can I describe it, the kind of core code for the functionality before the races so that people can customize it and see if they can figure out how to tweak it. Um, part of the Kickstarter, there is the ability to buy, I think they're calling them Yeti Borg. So you can buy the robots that are going to be in the competition as well if you want to go hardcore and actually test all your code beforehand. Um, but looking at the track, I'm, I can't tell whether the colored lines on the track are going to be part of the vision sensing or whether it's purely the edge that it's sensing. I know that is part of it. It's, it says in, in the description of the Kickstarter that that's why they went for the colored track to make it easier um, for them to kind of orientate where they're going. So it is definitely part of the vision um, um, tracking. See, this is exactly when I didn't put in the time to make sure I knew all about the news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> As I said, it's definitely an interesting one. Um, uh, I think it's £35 per competition. They're having one in the winter and another one in the spring. Um, it's a, I think it's 130 for the robot itself. And then they have other levels of support as well on the Kickstarter. They've already hit their goal. So they wanted, I think it was two and a half grand and they were over £5,000 already. So yeah. this is on, you know, this is happening. Yeah, it's just a case of how many people are going to be involved now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with the uh, the winter series and then the spring series. What I want to see is, is there going to be a difference in the race times and the object avoidance between what happens in the winter and then again in the spring? You know, will there be development between the two competitions? That, that'll be really cool to see a difference. Well, I think there will be because one thing that really stood out and one thing that I think is really amazing about this is that the winner's code is going to be published at the end of the season. And so that means that everyone will benefit from that and it'll push it forward. And that's basically the point of this is that whoever's the best at it will, um, you know, their code will be published and then that'll totally level the playing field. And then someone will improve that a little bit more and then they'll publish that and it'll just keep getting better and better and better to the point where that they're just basically totally autonomous and, and never crash. And, you know, <laughs> it's uh, that that is definitely the way to do these things. Yeah, and it'd be fantastic if all the other competitors did the same thing, that they released their code. Because, you know, your robot may not be the winner, but there might be some enhancements in there that would be worthwhile combining with the winning robot, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I would love to see that happen. But we look forward to watching that. Mm. And uh, Magpie 48 has been released. Um, again, I had a quick scan through it. It looks like if you're into Windows IoT, this is the one for you. It's got a huge section in it on various projects you can do with uh, uh, Windows IoT on the Raspberry Pi. So th this seems to be the, the main focus of this one. Yeah, it's a shame that we never spoke to anyone from Microsoft about the Windows IoT on, on the Raspberry Pi because it, it's always been interesting to me that basically everything else on the Pi is Linux based. I mean, there's Risk OS, but you know, it's it's mostly Linux stuff. And to see Windows on there, albeit this stripped down IoT version, it I've never played with it because I haven't got a Windows 10 machine. But you know, I'd I'd like to see what it's got that you know makes it stand out and makes it different. And uh, so I'm going to have to have a read through this. Um, I haven't had a chance yet. I've been away um, recently. But yeah, once once I get a chance to read it, hopefully it'll become clear to me, um, you know, what it is that they're doing that's different. It must be something. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. We got the first Windows 10 machine into the house relatively recently. I just got a, a little laptop for the kids. So until about three months ago, I couldn't have done anything with it anyway because Windows 10 is required to use it. So, but yeah, so Magpie 48, it's out. It's in news agents. It's available for download. Um, and if you want to see what Windows 10 is or Windows 10 IoT is all about on the Raspberry Pi, it's the one to read. Yep. So on the last episode, we had Martin O'Hanlon, and he mentioned that he had a Minecraft Essentials book coming out, and sure enough, now it's available. Yeah, uh, that, I wasn't actually on that interview, and uh, I heard him kind of saying when I when I listened to it as as a listener, which was great, that he didn't he had no idea when it was going to come out. Yeah, and it was, it was kind of like podcast out a week later, book is out. <laughs> yeah. So he he wasn't even sure when they'd get it published. But yeah, it's. It's out if you're into uh, Minecraft on the Raspberry Pi. Again, it's definitely one to get. Yeah, and it joins quite an illustrious list, doesn't it? It does indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, Scratch, Sonic Pi. Uh, there's, there's a whole Essentials book on using the Sense Hat. I mean, that is an amazing piece of kit with all the sensors in it. And then there's two more. One is making games which uses Python and Pygame. And the final one, which is, which is more up your street, I would say, Joe, is the uh, command line one. Yeah, which is very useful for the Pi, but it's also just very useful generally for Linux and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that that's one that's definitely worth a read. Yeah, I mean, the great thing with using the command line is you get a better understanding of what the computer is actually doing. And even though Linux is very pro-command line, Windows still has one. You know, press your Windows key, type CMD and enter, and you'll get a command prompt. Um, on the Mac, you can drop to a command line as well. So a lot of this stuff will translate across. Windows's commands are slightly different, but a lot of the knowledge will translate across. And it's, it's really good if you're interested in learning about computing uh, and not just programming, then definitely get the command line one as well. Yeah, yeah. So another guest that we've had on previously was Dr. Lucy Rogers. And uh, she's a, a bit famous now, isn't she? She is. She's very famous these days. She's um, one of the judges on the new UK uh, Robot Wars. Did you watch the first episode, Joe? I did, yeah. And it's it's a little bit different, isn't it, from from how it used to be? The main thing that I see, yeah, they, they've changed around the battle format. So there's more robots in at the beginning. But the main thing that I noticed is it looks like the arena is completely caged in. Well, I believe the previous one just had high sides on it. So I think there's a roof on it. So let's just say the uh, the robots look a lot more menacing. Yeah, they're a lot more powerful, aren't they? And uh, and bigger and heavier. Yeah, definitely. It's um, We're, we're actually recording this on uh, Sunday night while Robot Wars is on. So I have it recorded and I'll be watching it after we're finished here. Yeah, but I knew that Lucy was going places when we spoke to her. I mean, she, she's been quite well known for a while. But um, now I think that she's just going to get even more well known thanks to this. Uh, definitely, definitely, and well deserved as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a uh, another Kickstarter going on at the moment that I've backed. Um, Alex Eames, who we interviewed in episode twelve, uh, he's just done a Kickstarter for a twelve-inch GPIO zero ruler. So he did a six-inch, backed it, have it. It sits in my toolbox the whole time. I use it to reference the pins, but it also had at the time the basic GPIO zero. Uh, commands that Ben mentioned that he was working on with with others and now there's more commands built into it and there was actually people contacted Alex and said hey we need a, a 12 inch ruler you know as well as the 6 inch because actually I keep a, a 12 inch metal ruler in my toolbox as well 
for the occasions where I need a longer ruler. Um, so he's got a, a new Kickstarter out there for a 12 inch version of the GPIO zero ruler, which has got the pin identification on it, but it also has the GPIO zero commands on the ruler itself. So it's like a really handy reference guide. Yeah. If you're into the Pi and physical computing, then you've basically got to have one of these. Definitely. Yeah, so it's it's good to see that there's uh, going to be this 12-inch one, and we know that he can deliver on these Kickstarters. There's absolutely no worry on that. So yeah, it, it's another one that's completely fully funded. Yeah, you know, so this is this is happening. There is no there is no doubt about it. I think every every Kickstarter Alex has done has been delivered on time, has been fully funded. He has had no failures. He's had no problems. So you know, as as somebody on Kickstarter doing. Uh, Raspberry Pi related, uh, crowdfunding things. He's, he's definitely one of the best. He actually did a talk at the Pi party about doing Kickstarter. So he was already passing on his knowledge of what he does to make sure they're successful. Yeah. I mean, it's a very useful platform, isn't it? For, for people like him, uh, doing all sorts of things, but especially with the Pi, because you know, that you haven't necessarily got that economy of scale. So it's good that you know, you can fulfill a certain order with it and uh he's done really well with it so uh i reckon this is going to end up being uh very popular this ruler well let's end the final news then with something that is very appealing to me and that's a list of 10 linux distros for your raspberry pi and there's all sorts in here some that i wasn't even fully aware of i'd kind of assumed but gen 2 which is the one that you have to compile everything uh that's available and um, rock os that we talked about um, but there's a few, uh, solid, um, solid X RPI, which is Debian based. Uh, I'd not seen that before, but yeah, it, it, the thing is that Raspbian is all well and good, but the beauty of the Pi is that you can just swap the SD card out so easily that you you can just take your Raspbian SD card, put that somewhere safe, and then just do all the experiments you want with, with these other RSs and then just pop your card back in and you're just straight back doing what you were doing before with Raspbian. Yeah, and the, in in that article, the most intriguing thing for me is the uh, the Gentoo one because there's a a tweet embedded in it which says 64-bit U-boot loading 64-bit Linux kernel on a Raspberry Pi three. So, the as we know, the foundation uh, Raspbian is 32-bit. I mean, yeah. Evan even said it. We we pick the chip because it's a better 32-bit processor than. Uh, the previous generation, they didn't pick it because it's 64-bit. So it looks like some of the work has already been done to get a 64-bit kernel running on the Raspberry Pi 3. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to investigate that to see whether or not you're going to get some serious performance increase. I mean, I think it'd be probably a slight performance increase, but you know, when you're talking about these these ARM chips, even a little bit of performance increase can really make the difference. Yeah, the the debate that I see uh, when when people are discussing this is the trade-off between... 64-bit commands, and then um, memory usage, because all, all your programs will be twice as big in memory and in storage. So forget storage, you know, drop in a 32-gig SD card, and you you know, you're happy. Um, but if you've got one gig of RAM and 256 mega that is being used for graphics, then you don't have a huge amount left over in, in, in the modern sense to run your program. So suddenly all your code is twice the size then that may have more of an impact on the execution of the code than it being 32-bit with the extra headroom in memory. Yeah, but maybe it'll encourage people to write better software that doesn't need quite so much memory, eh? <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. And actually, one that isn't on the list, and again, kind of a, 
a, a, a personal one for the moment. Um, I got delivery of my Pi Top Seed. I can't remember. I think we mentioned it the last time. So the Pi Top OS is, is available to download as well from their website. Um, it includes their Seed Universe, which is a, a game that lets you, uh, basically learn to program, um, while playing a game. And they've also done some work and I, I don't know if they've done this manually or whether there's some, um, funky hook type things that allow them to take content off GitHub, but they've put in, um, I can't even what they call it, but a, a, a place where you can do the Raspberry Pi tutorials in the PyTop OS in a desktop with a panel on the left-hand side for the instructions and your circuit diagrams and everything. And then another panel where you can actually type in your Python code, uh, in front of you on screen and actually see it being executed as you go along. So that's, that's kind of a bit of a funky thing. So that's, that's out there as well. So there is more OSs being done for the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, that sounds well worth checking out. But, um, that'll do it for the news then. Let's move on to the interview. We're now joined by Hannah Mills, who is a teacher of computing in special needs schools and a Raspberry Pi certified educator. So welcome, Hannah. Thank you. Hi. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, please? Um, Yeah, I'm um, a teacher of computing in Peterborough. Um, I've been teaching computing for about, well, nearly four years now. Um, Before that, I was teaching music, so a bit of a change. Um, And... When the curriculum changed, I went to a cam jam. They did an education focus. So I thought what I would do is go to that. And I spoke to Clive from the foundation and he advised me to apply for Pi Academy. And it's kind of gone from there, really. Uh, I'm intrigued. How did you go from music to computing? Uh, I did supply. (laughs) Um, I left my job as a music teacher and then I did um, some supply work at the school I now work at. Uh, And then they offered me a long-term position just doing um, the IT cover. And then obviously the curriculum changed to computing and I found it all really very interesting. So I decided I would apply for the job permanently. And so was this before the Raspberry Pi came out that you were teaching um, music? So you didn't have a chance to um, integrate Sonic Pi into the classroom? Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was, it was quite a while after I'd finished teaching music. All so. oh, right, because uh, it's a difficult question, I suppose, then. But do you think that would have been a useful thing in, in music class? Um, yeah, to some extent. I, I find Sonic Pi quite hard for myself, um, just because I'm not used to making music by typing things in. Um, me and Sam had a conversation about that, and he wanted to talk about that further with me at some point, so I need to get in touch with him. But um, I think it would be interesting to put it into a music classroom. I think it would be very interesting to see how the kids progress with that. Yeah, I mean, I've been a musician most of my life, and I find it very difficult because it is just a total paradigm shift, isn't it? It's just totally yeah. different from any other instrument. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So were you using something other than the Raspberry Pi in, in your classes for computing or have you always been using a Raspberry Pi? Um, I use quite a few different things. Um, I use a lot of stuff that's online. So I use the code.org website and I use Kodu, but I find that the Raspberry Pis are the most, um, they're, I think they're, they're accessible to the kids, but I think they also, because it's something they can physically see, they're interested, that's something different. Ooh, what does it do? And then, of course, the minute you say it's got Minecraft on it, they're sold. So so is there a big focus on the use of Minecraft? or um, I use it quite a lot just because my children are quite interested in it. 
um, and they engage with it because they're interested in it because we use Minecraft EDU to do STEM projects. Um, uh, but I've also used, I have used Sonic Pi with my year 10s and I also use the Scratch GPIO things because they quite like the flashing LEDs and things that make noises. So... Ah, so my, Minecraft EDU, I, I'm, I'm not in education, so I've never seen it. I mean, it looks like it's the big Minecraft with sort of bits added to make it work in a classroom environment. What, what are the main things that it does that are different to uh, standard Minecraft? Um, it, well, it's sandboxed within school, so you can, you, well, you can use one of their hosting services or you can, uh, have a server in school, which is what we do because the children I teach are obviously very vulnerable. Um, and it's got a lot of control. So you can have some players in creative and some players in survival, which allows for differentiation for those students that don't play outside school. Um, and there's a lot of control, like you can give them things and you can um, set them all, like I said, to different uh, playing styles, but you can give them other settings as well. So some of them can fly um, and things like that. And there's an EDU mode, which is kind of a cross between creative and survival. So you have to mine for all your materials but you can't die which is obviously quite useful if you want them to focus on the work rather than oh i better go and find some apples very good very good because yeah i saw some stuff that microsoft is changing the licensing for that my reading of it is it looked like it's going to be expensive now yes i have written a blog post on it um quite extensive blog post on it yeah they are um i mean the the, the product itself is in c rather than java so it's actually a lot slicker it's a lot quicker it's not it's when you're actually in the game it doesn't lag um but they've put, and they've put a lot of the features from edu in along with some other things but they've also left out quite a lot of stuff and they're you know charging per child per year so obviously if you've got a lot of i work in a small school but if you work in a big school that's that's gonna be incredibly expensive yeah it's not again i might be wrong it's not per license per computer it's per child in the school so if you have a computer room with 30 computers but 600 children you pay 600 licenses not 30 yeah and at the moment they're standing at five dollars per student so there's quite a lot of feedback going back to them i think um which hopefully they will take on board but you can still use the old edu software which you've paid for per per computer but um you, there's no support available for it now so if something was to go wrong if you were doing it with children with, who are doing coursework obviously you wouldn't have that backup so I think we're going to go with the education edition in year 10 and 11 and try and stick with the edu for the for the lower school so let's kind of watch this space to see what Microsoft does to react to it yeah it's in beta at the moment so it's going to be charging they're charging for it from September so um we're looking at that but obviously they have offered people who have edu you get um a year's free trial for each computer that you had that had it on so we've got 16 computers in my classroom and so we'll get 16 free trial licenses for a year so that'll, that'll be handy yeah so you um attended pi academy how did you find that then it was brilliant. Um, I went in with absolutely no clue what I'm doing. I mean, I came from a music background. I had no programming experience whatsoever. Um, and it was brilliant. We spent the first day with um, Craig doing Minecraft. Ben showed us some GPIO stuff. Um, we looked at a couple of other things. And then 
we the next day had um we were in teams and we did a hackathon my team was the I don't know whether you've seen it there's a babbage bear that we like ripped all of its insides out and shoved a pie inside it um and then we set up a camera in its eye and an led in the other one we basically completely destroyed the babbage um and then you pressed a button on his paw and it took a photo and uploaded it to Twitter with a random comment on it um, saying, you know, you've got nice hair today or you look awesome. So, yeah, a cat and cat Lamin and I were on the same team. It doesn't surprise me that a bear got ripped apart and a camera put in it and Twitter feeds were done if the pair of you were on the same team. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so where did that bear end up? Has somebody got it? Uh, I don't know. We were we were told we had to leave it there. I don't know whether it's been mended or whether it's been kept. I'm not sure. It does have its own Twitter feed, uh, which I can't remember what it is. It might just be Babbage Bear. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, we don't know what happened to the bear that we killed, I'm afraid. Uh, the next time we talk to somebody from the uh, the foundation who's involved in setting up by Academy, we'll ask them where the bear has got to. Yeah, uh, but Carrie-Anne was fairly horrified at what we did to it. <laughs> <laughs> So there's now been hundreds of um, certified educators who've been through Pi Academy, um, yeah. and there's more all the time. So, what advice have you got for people who've done it? You know, what what kind of what next afterwards? I would say just get on board with it and do it. Just go for it. Um, I was still a bit nervous. Obviously, the children that I teach are very different to the children that were taught by. There were I don't think there was anybody else on my course that um, taught special needs. Um, but I decided I would start simple with just doing some LED stuff and the kids loved it. They absolutely loved it. And actually the things that I thought would be difficult in terms of their literacy levels and things, um, they, they kind of didn't think about that because they were so busy going, Oh my God, it's flashing. Um, and I did that. Um, and don't be afraid to make mistakes because you are going to make mistakes. Coding is, it's hard, you know, and, and things go wrong all the time and you put a block in and you think you've, you've done it all right. And you look at it 10 times and you can't see the mistake. And then a kid will go, that block shouldn't be there. And you kind of, you know, you go, oh, okay, I've made a mistake in front of my class. Oh my God. But actually the kids respect that. They really, you know, you hold your hands up and say, this is what happens with programming. You make mistakes and you learn from them. And and the kids really like that. They respect it. And they you get into much better, much deeper learning dialogues with them when you're doing things like that, I think. So in a kind of weird way, it's an advantage to not be an expert. Yeah, I think so. Sometimes I think so. Um, I, I always worry that I, I don't know a lot of the technical language. And, you know, sometimes when I'm listening to conversations, I think, oh, my God, I haven't got a clue what they're talking about. Um, but obviously, I don't have that issue when I'm talking to the kids. They know what I'm talking about because I don't really know that much about it either. Um, I'm getting a lot better now. And I run a coding evening, which helps one of Kat Lamin's coding evenings. Um, and I now run the Peterborough Raspberry Pi Jam as well with a couple of people from the university. So it's kind of all taken off since by Academy, I suppose. Um, but yeah, definitely not knowing about it isn't a hindrance. I don't think, I think it, you, you know, you can be an expert teacher with either level of knowledge. I don't think it, it matters so much. I think it's more about your relationship with the kids. So just for those who don't know, can you explain what the coding evening is? Oh yeah. Um, we meet every couple of months in a pub, 
um, after school and we have um, food and drinks and we take stuff along. I have a couple of lightning talks. Um, we take along our coding things. So we've had Pi, we've had Arduino, we've had um, Minecraft, we've had the micro bit. Um, we've had leap pads. We've had all sorts of different things that people um, from the, so Tim and Mike from the from the Cambridge Jam bring have brought stuff because we're not too far away from them. Um, and we've had David Whale bring BBC micro bits and things. But then we have people from schools who bring things in. So somebody from one of our local schools brought in a leap pad. Um, another primary a primary school brought in a Raspberry Pi controlled dog robot. Um, and we basically we swap ideas, we support each other, we help if anybody's stuck with anything, and we hopefully provide people with a, a, a nice, relaxed, informal environment where they can feel comfortable to go. I don't know what I'm doing. Help! So yeah, I'm hoping that's what it achieves anyway. Yeah, I've been to one of them um, in Twickenham, one of Cat's ones, and it was very, very informal. It was a, a great experience. I'd highly recommend it to people. Um, so in terms of this special educational needs um, yeah. thing then, presumably that means that um, there's quite a lot of, um, quite a range of abilities of the kids that you're teaching. So yeah. presumably that makes it quite difficult then. Yeah, I mean, my year 11 class that I have just uh, graduated, I suppose, have left school, um, I had students who um, had things like autism who were very, very good at programming which I know that sounds very stereotypical, but this particular child was. Um, and but I've also I also had children in there who had very low literacy. I had a child with dyslexia. So obviously, if you're doing text-based programming, having a kid who's dyslexic and then having a child who's really good at programming is quite a difference. Um, I mean, I was lucky; it was a very small group, but. Yeah, it can be. It's quite as challenging. It takes a lot of planning, and you have to really know your students. So uh, again, the infamous Kat Lamon roped you into doing a uh, a Minecraft workshop at the recent um, Wimbledon Jam. How did that go for you? Um, it was really good fun. Um, it was really nice. I used, I adapted materials from that I used from my lesson, which I've adapted from other people, um, and it was nice to see that actually my materials could be used by mainstream children as well, um, which was, you know, and it was really good fun. Everybody was really involved. Um, we had a lot of people watching because the Minecraft workshops are always overbooked. So, yeah, it was I, it was a really good experience for me as well. It was a really good learning curve for me in terms of teaching outside the classroom to a larger group of children because I only teach about 10 children at a time as a general rule. So having 20 was an experience. <laughs> Yeah, it was fairly full in there when I popped in and sort of, okay, I'm going to leave again. <laughs> so you must have seen some pretty amazing things with Minecraft on the pie. What, what would you say is the sort kind of standout there? Um, I think my favourite one is that um, one of my students, we were doing, there's a flower path programme um, which you can adapt so that when you walk, it lays random blocks of wool different colors behind you so it's like a rainbow path and um one of the challenges i said to my students was um can you experiment with different materials and one of my students managed to program it so that where you were standing you had a gold block underneath you with uh four diamond blocks around you so it formed a cross and when you moved it adapted it the path adapted itself so the gold block moved with you and it built the diamond blocks as well 
Um, he then tried to do a tunnel, which didn't work because he got the coordinates wrong and managed to get his head stuck in a diamond block. But uh, yeah, that was definitely one of the fun, more fun lessons. And it was uh, an interesting experience because I, I, again, this is a perfect example, actually. I, I looked at his code and I was just like, I have no idea what you have just done. I really don't know what you've just done. It took me about an hour looking at his code to work out how he'd done the mathematics of getting the the four blocks around the gold and then getting it to move every time he he took a step. So, yeah, that was that was definitely a highlight for me. Sounds great. Sounds great. And looking at the Raspberry Pi education, what would you like to see the foundation or or happen in the ecosystem for the Raspberry Pi to to make it even more successful in education? Oh. Um, I think that Ben Nuttall's GPIO Zero offers us a lot of uh, possibilities. That's quite an exciting development. So I'd hope they're going to keep developing that. Um, on a non-programming front, I would really like them to, to develop some kind of access for visually impaired students. I have a child who requires a size 60 aerial font, which you can imagine is quite large. Um and he can't access the pie because obviously everything is very small and there's no magnifying, there's no magnifier on it. And the scratch, I mean, scratch comes up small on a, on a PC as well, but on, on a pie, it's, it's tiny, it's kind of minuscule. And even my students with moderate VI um, needs find it really hard. So I would really like to, to see them uh, develop the access for, for certain particular needs we perhaps could do with the help with yeah that's something that is is generally a problem with computing uh, isn't it i mean it can yeah. there are kind of special organizations who are set up to try and um you know push for that stuff and it's it's often forgotten yeah. about because people just kind of assume that everyone uh, you know can see perfectly well and hear perfectly yeah. well and all that stuff yeah it's it's really difficult as well because when you've got a child in the room who can't access that one particular thing but you've still got to teach your curriculum to the other children and to them but and they have to do something different whilst being able to see that the others are doing this thing that makes things light up and things like that I mean you know there are workarounds I produced large scratch card blocks and got him to do that on the desk and then a TA inputted the actual program but still you know you know it's not quite the same experience for them I don't think just thinking of a couple of options I mean if you force the resolution on the screen to be lower then everything will get bigger so that technically can be done and also you can change the default fonts for the desktop for the applications and also for the the screen writing so there is menu options to do things like that. It is fiddly because it would mean, again, I don't know if you've got your pies, if you're using something like PyNet or whether it's an individual one, but it would mean that one then would be, would come up huge for everybody. But there, there is, there is ways around it. No, nothing perfect, but I could see it would be a great thing if the uh, foundation took that into account when they did their next uh, revision. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I really like, um, there's been some rumours of them creating sort of a breakout board for the GPIO pins so that they're not, I mean, uh, I think Trevor Olson's got the GPIO, oh, I can't remember what it's called now, um, 
he's got like a box where you can plug things into it and it, it's kind of a breakout for the GPIO. But I have quite a lot of students who have fine motor skill difficulties. So those GPIO pins are, you know, plugging an LED into that is is kind of, I have to run around like a lunatic plugging and unplugging things. So um, some kind of uh, breakout where maybe the pins are further apart or bigger would be a brilliant development in terms of special needs children. I might be wrong, but I, think I saw Pimeroni were doing the springs. Have you seen those spring clips that are used for putting electronic components together? Yeah, I haven't seen it in a board yet, but I have seen those spring clips being done. So that, I mean, that would be, I mean, that, that brings me back to as a kid doing electronics where you bought your 24 in one kit and you just wired everything up with springs. So it looks like that's the kind of thing that's needed. Yeah, definitely. So um, time gets away from us, unfortunately, so we'd better think about wrapping it up. But um, you mentioned a, a blog post there. Um, wh- where can people find your the stuff that you've been writing? Um, I am on as, oh, it's on Blogger, um, and it's Digital Diva Geek. So if you look, and I'm on, I'm on Twitter as well, so you can follow me on Twitter as Digital Diva Geek, and then my blog posts go on there as well. Or you can tweet me and I can send you the link. Okay, yeah, great. Well, I'll put some links to that in the show notes. So, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on and um, hopefully speak to you again at some point. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was a really fascinating chat with Hannah, just to hear about the challenges. I mean, it's difficult enough to teach um, kids in, in kind of regular schools, but to teach special needs kids, um, you know, with the, the varying levels and everything, that um, it must be such a challenge. Yeah, I, I, the thing that I found amazing was um, when we we're talking about, you know, programming in Python or, or you know, that kind of language, you kind of go, oh, this is going to be even harder for them. But she was saying for some of them it was easier because it's not English. It's it's not, a, it doesn't have the same construction. It's it's different, which means it works better in some of their brains than what you call kind of spoken languages. Yeah. So it's brilliant to find something that, kids who in other areas are battling the way they are naturally to suddenly put them in a an environment where actually they are on a par or potentially ahead of others i think is a great thing to do for their confidence and 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 you know their personal well-being yeah and another thing that stood out to me was the accessibility issues you know with uh, visual impairment and, and stuff like that and um that's it's with Windows, there are some programs available, but they tend to be quite expensive. And Linux, there are some available, and they're getting better. But I'd like to see more integration into Raspbian because um, you know it's something that most people take for granted. But it's you know it is a big area accessibility. I mean, there might not be that many people that it affects relative to people it doesn't. But you know, if you're one of those people, then it is a really big deal. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So uh, with that, then, we come to the end of another Pi podcast and indeed to the end of the Pi podcast. So again, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening over the last year. And uh, thanks to everyone who's come on and been a guest and given up your time, usually on a Sunday night, which is, uh, you know, most people just want to be slumped in front of the telly uh, watching Robot Wars for, for tonight or Top Gear as it used to be in that slot. And uh, yeah, f- for listening to the show and for everyone's feedback as well, it's been brilliant. Um, we've had a lot of people saying positive things about us, which has has been nice. And um, and as I said before, people who've been spreading the word about us, um, it- it's been great. And it's just such a shame that we have to stop doing this. But sometimes life gets in the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
at, at various Raspberry Pi things, I had the, uh, you know, those kind of moments where you're chatting to somebody and they go, wait a sec. Are you, are you, are you that guy from the Pi podcast? Obviously not in an Irish accent because I live in England, but you know, it's like th- that moment of realization has hit and okay. you kind of go, yeah, that's me. So, you know, you, you, you kind of don't think it's out there as much as it possibly is. So again, thank you everybody who was listening, everybody who promoted it, everybody who gave us feedback. Um, it is, it, it's only worked because of the community. And as I said, it really gave me an opportunity to see how great the Raspberry Pi community is. Yeah. And obviously let's not forget to thank Isaac as well, who is not around this time, but he's, he's been a valuable member of the team and has really added a fresh perspective to things. I think. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So at this point I would normally say, um, we'll see you again in two weeks, but we won't. We'll, um, we'll see you again at some point, probably doing other things and, uh, do stay subscribed to the RSS feed because, as and when we do other things and if we end up doing something related to to the pie and you know something that we think you might like then we'll put it on the website um and you know in the rss feed i might even do a little audio um recording just to kind of keep you up to date with uh, new projects as and when we we come up with them but uh, i suppose that'll do it for the pie podcast yeah so goodbye everybody and thank you for everything yeah thanks for all the fish see you later